What's up, nerds? How's it going? Tonight is March 19th, 2021, and we are coming to you live from Huntington Beach, California to talk about the calves. Now this group of muscle, commonly known as the calves here in the United States, I'm not sure what they call them elsewhere, specifically refers to the gastrocnemius and the soleus. Gastrocnemius, also known as the gastroc in shorthand terms, and the soleus, which is the buddy kind of underneath it, which shares a common tendon with the gastroc. So it's kind of hard not to talk about them together, even though I just wanted to talk to you about gastroc tonight. So we're going a little while, we're gonna talk about both. Now, the reason why specifically we're going into gastroc and soleus tonight has to do with the last episode. If you haven't listened to the last episode yet, we talked about the talocrural joint, commonly known as the ankle. <laughs> so the talocrural joint, if you break down the words, has to do with the talus as it articulates on the distal end of the tibia and also a little bit of the distal fibula too. Uh, the ankle joint is a dorsiflexion and plantar flexion joint. It's a hinge joint. It pretty much does only those two actions. And the powerhouse of these actions has to do with what's going on in the gastrosoleus complex, the calves. Of course, there are others as well that play into this just a little bit, but when we talk about plantar flexion, we are talking mostly about what is happening in the gastrosoleus. So there you go. This is why we are talking about this tonight. And we're gonna wrap it up at the very end with a discussion on a very important topic, especially for those of you going into physical therapy, or maybe if you're a personal trainer, you wanna use this concept as well. We're gonna talk about the concepts of active insufficiency versus passive insufficiency. So buckle up, let's take a little break here, listen to our sponsor real quick, and coming right back soon. And we're coming back to talk about the O's, I's, and A's, the origins, insertions, innervations, and actions of the gastrocnemius and the soleus muscles, the calves. Before we do, I wanna let you know that you can get this source that I am reading straight from. It is called, commonly in the medical speak, Gray's Anatomy. It is the 20th edition and it is so old that it is in the public domain. What's great about that is the anatomists did a lot of work a long time ago. And so the information in this text is pretty gosh darn up to date. When I do come across something that's a little different from what I learned, I will pipe in and let you know. But the great part about this text by Henry Gray is that you can find it and download it for free if you live in the United States. 
I'm not sure how public domain works outside of the US, but that's how it works here. And the reason why I use this source is because we have copyright laws that I will violate if I don't use a public domain text, right? So kind of win-win. Anywho, let's move on. So we're talking about the muscles on the posterior side of the tibia, just so you know. The gastrocnemius is the most superficial muscle and it forms the greater part of the calf. It arises by two heads, which are connected to the condyles of the femur by strong flat tendons. The medial and larger head takes its origin from a depression at the upper and back part of the medial condyle and from the adjacent part of the femur. The lateral head arises from an impression on the side of the lateral condyle and from the posterior surface of the femur immediately above the lateral part of the condyle. Both heads also arise from the subjacent part of the capsule of the knee. Each tendon spreads out into an aponeurosis, which covers the posterior surface of that portion of the muscle to which it belongs. From the anterior surfaces of these tendinous expansions, muscular fibers are given off. Those of the medial head being thicker and extending lower than the lateral. The fibers unite at an angle in the middle line of the muscle in a tendinous raphe, which expands into a broad aponeurosis on the anterior surface of the muscle. And into this, the remaining fibers are inserted. The aponeurosis is gradually contracting, unites with the tendon of the soleus, and forms with it the tendocalcaneus, commonly known as the Achilles tendon. Moving on to soleus. The soleus is a broad, flat muscle situated immediately in front of the gastrocnemius. When we say in front, we mean it's closer to the posterior surface of the tibia. So it's underneath or deep to the gastrocnemius. It arises by tendinous fibers from the back of the head of the fibula and from the upper third of the posterior surface of the body of the bone, from the popliteal line, and the middle third of the medial border of the tibia. Some fibers also arrive from a tendinous arch placed between the tibial and fibular origins of the muscle, in front of which the popliteal vessels and the tibial nerve run. The fibers end in an aponeurosis, which covers the posterior surface of the muscle and, gradually becoming thicker and narrower, joins with the tendon of the gastrocnemius, and guess what? It forms with it the tendocalcaneus, aka the Achilles tendon. So basically, the gastrocnemius and soleus together form a muscular mass, which is occasionally described together as the triceps surae. Its tendon of insertion is the tendocalcaneus, the Achilles tendon. And so what we're saying here is that the Achilles tendon is not a tendon of just one muscle. It is shared by gastroc and soleus together. 
it is shared. Keep that in mind. A little bit more on this Achilles tendon. The Achilles tendon, AKA the tendocalcaneus, or the tendon of the calcaneus, the common tendon of the gastrocnemius and soleus, is the thickest and strongest tendon in the body. It's about 15 centimeters long and begins near the middle of the leg, but receives fleshy fibers on its anterior surface, almost to its lower end. Gradually becoming contracted below, it is inserted into the middle part of the posterior surface of the calcaneus, a bursa being interposed between the tendon and the upper part of this surface. The tendon then spreads out somewhat at its lower end so that its narrowest part is about four centimeters above its insertion. It's covered by fascia and the integument, the skin, and is separated from the deep muscles and vessels by a considerable interval filled up with areolar and adipose tissue. Along its lateral side, but superficial to it, is the small saphenous vein. Now we're gonna move on to innervation. The gastroc and soleus are supplied by the first and second sacral nerves, S1 and S2. And through the tibial nerve, if we're talking peripheral nerves. So tibial nerve, S1, S2. And for what it's worth, I figure it's worth mentioning that the tibial nerve is one half of the sciatic nerve. The sciatic nerve is made up in your posterior hip of the fibular section and the tibial section which then later split off once you get down the leg. So gastroc and soleus are supplied by the tibial nerve portion of the sciatic nerve through nerve roots S1 and S2. Actions. The muscles of the calf are the chief extensors of the foot at the ankle joint. And when Gray says extensors of the foot, we are talking about plantar flexion. So, brief review, dorsiflexion is when you are curling your toes up toward the anterior part of your shin bone, your tibia, as if you're trying to make like a 90 degree angle with your foot, versus plantar flexion, which is pointing your toes like a ballerina. So, we are talking about the chief plantar flexors of the ankle joint. These muscles possess considerable power and are constantly called into use in standing, walking, dancing, and leaping, hence the large size they usually present. In walking, these muscles raise the heel from the ground, more on that later, the body being thus supported on the raised foot. The opposite limb can then be carried forward. In standing, the soleus, taking its fixed point from below, steadies the leg upon the foot and prevents the body from falling forward. The gastrocnemius, acting from below, serves to flex the femur upon the tibia, assisted by the popliteus muscle, which we have not yet discussed. Then we are gonna skip over plantaris because we also didn't cover that guy, but he's tiny and you don't really need to worry about it for the moment. But 
Basically, what we really need to know is that gastroc and soleus are plantar flexors. They are the main plantar flexors and, by the way, due to the direction of the fibers and the insertion on the calcaneus, soleus also carries with it an inversion moment. So inversion is an action we have not talked about yet, but know that soleus is a plantar flexor and slight inverter. Gotcha? Okay. Lots of things to wrap up here. So just want to go back to this point about walking as we're talking about in the actions portion of the ozai's nase gait obviously we know is exceptionally important and the plantar flexors are very active in gait but we want to specifically call attention to soleus as as mentioned by gray um, soleus is very active in in supported stance which if you think about it gait walking involves a lot of single limb stance so, without going into the whole biomechanics of gait, which could literally take an entire semester to explain, promise, I took the class, um, mid-stance is when the soleus is a decelerator as the body falls forward and the tibia translates forward over a fixed foot on the ground, right? So, the stance portion you're falling forward, it's a controlled fall, and the decelerating force of that controlled fall is the soleus. Now, once you get to the end part of mid-stance, then we also have gastroc coming in to help, and the reason why it has to wait, it has to wait until the end of mid-stance is because it is also a knee flexor. We'll talk more about why that's important in just a moment, I promise. But gastroc has this dual action of being a flexor of the knee. Just a reminder, going back, Gray says verbatim, the gastrocnemius acting from below serves to flex the femur upon the tibia. So that is knee flexion. Right, so why can't gastroc be involved in the earlier part of mid stance? Well, because that's the part when you really need your knee to be straight. So if gastroc fires too early, you're gonna have a collapsing knee, which you don't want. So Soleus is responsible for the early part of mid-stance. It keeps going, but then gastroc kicks in once you get past the midline of that ground reaction vector. Going into a lot of terms here, I know. But knowing that the plantar flexors are very active in gait, and as well, going back to what Gray says right here, in walking, these muscles raise the heel. I need to add here that that part is mostly passive. When you get to terminal stance and your heel starts to rise away from the floor, that is because your tibia has gone into so much dorsiflexion that your gastrocnemius and soleus are essentially stretched out as far as they can and you have all of this stored energy, this stored potential energy in the tendon, in that Achilles tendon. And once you reach that end range of your dorsiflexion, your heel starts to lift off the ground, boom, that energy is released into kinetic energy passively, which then propels you forward. So very important in gait, very important in stance. You might not even know your soleus is working 
if you're like standing in line at the grocery store, but I promise you, if it wasn't, you would fall flat on your face. <laughs> so these are great muscles. They're very important. Um, and let's go back to the main driver of what brought me here tonight, which was to talk to you about gastronemias. I wanted to leave Soleus out of the discussion, but really, as you can see, it's kind of impossible. But let's go back to a couple of points I mentioned very early on tonight, at the beginning of the episode, that I want to use now gastronemius as the star of the show to explain two very important concepts in biomechanics. And these are the concepts of passive insufficiency and active insufficiency. And they're kind of two different sides of the same coin. So passive insufficiency and active insufficiency occur when you have mostly when you have a muscle that goes over two joints. So there's not really a lot of these in the body. Um, the hamstrings are one, well, three, the hamstrings, uh, all three of them are two joint muscles. The gastrocnemius is a two joint muscle and rectus femoris, one of your quadriceps, also a two joint muscle, but let's, zero in on gastroc. So the thing about two joint muscles is, is they have the capacity to work at two different joints at the same time, but they really don't do their best work if they are performing action at both joints at the same time. You dig? Basically, because of length tension relationships, which is a whole nother topic, so we'll just barely dip our toe in here. Because of length tension relationships, which basically allow a muscle to work at its best capacity, the muscle is either going to be too short or too stretched out if both of the joints that it can act on are being acted on at the same time. So let us take this very important concept, working in length tension relationships, into the concepts of passive insufficiency and active insufficiency with gastronemias. So we already know, thanks to Gray, gastronemias has two actions, plantar flexion of the ankle and flexion of the knee. So that means it can do either or or both. However, if it tries to do both actions at the same time, that muscle is going to become contracted so much that it will actually take the sarcomeres in the muscle fibers past the point where they're able to really do a good job contracting. Think about it this way. You can even do this sitting down, maybe in a long sit with your legs forward. Do this with me. Go ahead and bend your knee. Maybe bring your legs into a figure four. I'm going to do it here too. 
And when you do that, also point your toe and then take a poke at your calves. Do they feel kind of, I don't know, spongy? Now, proceed with caution. Point your toes really actively and flex your knee really actively. It fires up a little bit, but do you start to feel a little bit of a cramp? Probably, right? And if it induced too much of a cramp, I do apologize. It kind of has to serve the point though. That cramping occurs when the sarcomeres are so kind of like overlapped with one another because the muscle is so much on slack because it's trying to do too much at once. It's shortening as it does these actions. These are concentric actions. So the muscle is shortening as it flexes the knee, as it plantar flexes the ankle. It gets to a point where the muscle is no longer at a good tension. It's like you take a guitar string and when you string it on the guitar, it sounds the best when it's at a correct tension, does it not? If it's too tight, it's like, whoa. And if it's too loose, it kind of just like flops against the guitar, right? And it doesn't really make a sound or a good sound when you pluck it, it just kind of like flops around. That is active insufficiency. There's too many sarcomeres overlapping that it cannot contract powerfully anymore. So what happens if you then straighten your knee and then you try to plantar flex your foot? Now take and palpate again where your calves are. Does it feel a lot more solid? You get a nice contraction there and guess what? You're probably not cramping as much, right? If any, that's because you have taken the knee flexion element out of the gastroc and simply have asked it to plantar flex the ankle. So you've taken the muscle and put it now back at that kind of like optimal tension that it wants to be at. The guitar string, when you pluck it, now is gonna sound pretty in tune, right? So that's the concept of active insufficiency. When the muscle is active, actively, concentrically contracting, but it becomes insufficient due to a overshortened length, and it, the insufficiency part is a reflection of its ability to properly do its job, right? So the gastrocnemius works best when you are not asking it to do full range knee flexion with full range plantar flexion. Now, you can get away with it if you're not asking full range of both of these joints at the same time. If you're asking for just a bit of knee flexion with just a bit of plantar flexion, you're actually probably gonna be doing some, some movements that look a lot like what you would do in the gym, right? So there is a happy medium in all of this, but active insufficiency will arise when you take those joints both into extremes where the muscle is now just a little too slack, but you're acting, asking it to contract. So it's not gonna be happy. So that is active insufficiency. Passive insufficiency on the flip side is when you are stretching a muscle and trying to stretch it, a two joint muscle, to the other extremes 
of those same joints that it works on. And guess what? You reach a point at which the muscle can no longer stretch, right? So another great example here, you still do it in the same long sit position, your legs out forward. Take your knee and bring it into full extension and then dorsiflex your toes, dorsiflex your ankle rather, drawing your toes up toward the anterior part of your tibia. You probably feel a really good stretch, right? Well, that's the passive insufficiency of the gastroc kicking in. And let me explain further. If you are then going to keep that dorsiflexion, maybe you can use a towel or a yoga strap, or if you're flexible, you can reach your toes and kind of hold on to that big, big stretch in your foot. So you're pulling yourself into as much dorsiflexion as you can possibly get here. If you're to keep that amount and kind of mentally note what angle is my ankle at right now? Am I at 90 degrees? Am I less than 90? Am I more than 90? Just kind of make a mental note. And now bend your knee, just release some of that extension, and now pull yourself into further dorsiflexion. I bet that most of you did. And that is because you took the gastroc out of a state of passive insufficiency. You released its hold at the knee. It was stretched into full extension at the knee, but you let that go. And what did it do? It gave you a bit more room to then work into further dorsiflexion. It gave you more range at one joint when you let some of that force go at the opposite joint. Gotcha? So, passive insufficiency happens when you have the two joints of a two-joint muscle going into full range of motion where that muscle is on full stretch. And it makes it so that the range of motion is gonna be limited. You're not gonna have full range of motion. If you let one of those joints go, guess what? You're gonna get more range at the other one. So that's the concept of passive insufficiency compared earlier with active insufficiency using the gastroc. And by the way, just a note, if in that example of passive insufficiency, you were not able to get further dorsiflexion range, which most of you probably did, but if you didn't, that doesn't mean there's something necessarily wrong with your gastroc, but it could indicate perhaps, I'm not diagnosing, this is not a medical diagnosis, but it could perhaps indicate that there might be some kind of other restriction going on preventing full dorsiflexion. Just potential. So if you notice that you don't think you have normal range dorsiflexion, you should get past 90 for most functional activities. You need at least 10. But um, if you notice that you didn't really get any gain from releasing your gastroc, it might mean your gastroc is fine, but your posterior capsule of your ankle mm, may be a little bit restricted. You might wanna 
you know, just keep an eye on that. And, uh, you know, again, not a medical diagnosis, but it's just something to know. So there you have it. Kind of a big topic today, but I think a really important and interesting one. So let me know what you think and we'll continue on this journey down into the foot and ankle and maybe work our way back up through the femur and the hip that we got started on. We didn't really finish last year. So hope you enjoyed. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, weekend, evening, whatever you got. And hit me up on social media. Always happy to chat. I'm at Nikki-Ray, N-I-K-K-I-D-A-S-H-R-A-E on Instagram and Twitter. Not really Facebook. Okay. Have a great time. Thanks, nerds. Appreciate you much. Goodbye.